We're going to pray this this morning. We're going to take some time uh, and pray as a people. And uh, I'll walk us through, I'm going to lead us through um, some items for prayer and just leave space for you to pray where you are. And you can pray out loud or, or quietly, whatever you feel is best. But we are the people of God. God has invited His people to address Him as Father and is to bring Him the, the cares of our hearts. So would you assume a posture of prayer, whatever that means for you? Gracious God, we come to you this morning at your invitation, at your call. We sing to you because you're worthy and because you ask us to. We pray this morning because you tell us to. Father, we lift our eyes over the face of our nation this morning. And we see heartache and rubble, fear, disease, and death. We lift up to you this morning our nation. And we ask God for you to bring your peace. So would you pray now for the peace of God? Not peace as we might define it or be comfortable with, but the peace of God to come to our place, to our our town, our county, our nation. Father, we pray that you would make us into peacemakers, shaped in in your image and likeness. And Father, we ask that you would make us to be a people who do not just speak lightly the word peace or proclaim peace where there is no peace, as the false prophets have always done. Because of that, Lord Jesus, we ask the spirit of repentance would come and visit us. We ask, Father, that you would examine our own hearts and convict us of sin, both in what we have done and what we have failed to do. Would you pray for the spirit of repentance in your own life, in our church, the church at large, Father, we repent of the silence that we have 
ensconced around ourselves and our commitment to it. Father, we pray for the family and the friends and the neighbors of George Floyd and for the communities that grieve his loss. Father, we pray that they would be comforted by your Holy Spirit, that they would see the justice and righteousness that is the foundation of your throne. Father, we pray for all of those who know many more like him and who are overwhelmed by grief and anger. We pray for their consolation. We pray that we might join them. Father, we thank you that today on Pentecost Sunday, we proclaim the good word that you sent your spirit to your people. That our bones are dry bones until we are animated by your breath. If you are weary, tired, fearful, dead, would you pray this morning? that the Holy Spirit would come and fill you up with new life again and again and again. Holy Spirit, we thank you that in you we are brought into the life of the Godhead. That in you is infinite life and joy. And when we have run run out, you have not. Help us to turn to you and draw from your life again and again. We thank you that Pentecost was 2,000 years ago and that Pentecost is today. And that you have never changed. Help our hearts to be full of the Holy Spirit this morning. To the praise of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated if you're standing. Um, really briefly, very quickly, um, I want to reinforce what I put out in a video on Friday, sent out an email. Um, we did, we did this uh, a few weeks ago and our plan is, is to hopefully do this again on Father's Day in a few weeks. Um, but what we've told folks is our plan, uh, for the summer is to take the whole summer uh, and, and generally to not meet like this. We'll meet like this about once a month, 
and then our hope is, our, our prayer is, that come the middle of August, we'll feel that we know what we should do, what we can do to safely have people gathered back at our building. And right now, we just don't, we don't think that. We don't feel that we know enough to do that. So to take care of the people that we love, um, we just need more time to, to make sure that we're doing all that we can. But we don't want you all to, to just be having your own private experiences in your home. We want to, to implement a, a system and a strategy of meeting in homes in smaller clusters uh, where we feel like uh, we can better protect the, a larger number of people by having isolated uh, communities that are representations of, of Valley Hope. What we want to encourage you is that this season in the life of our church is not a season of loss. That we have not lost who we are because we cannot meet in a building. The building never defined who we were. And if ever any church in this valley, we should know that best because we've met in like five, six different places. We are not that building. We love that building. We love getting to be in that place. But we are the gathered community of God worshiping in this valley for the purpose of seeing the kingdom of Jesus proclaimed and transforming our lives and our neighborhoods, the whole valley. And what we believe is that we are called to embrace this season and trust that God is bringing us with him on a new adventure. And that we want to embrace these smaller gatherings scattered throughout the valley throughout the summer and trust that God is going to use those small places, those new places, to bring the gospel to our neighbors in a way that he hasn't done until now. That is not a loss. That is a positive. That is a good thing. And we believe that that is not just a a compromise. That's not a disappointment. This is exciting. And so over the coming weeks, you will hear from us. If you're a member of Valley Hope, our plan is to call every single member household so that we know what you feel comfortable with in terms of meeting with other people and so that you can be gathered with small missional communities scattered throughout the valley throughout the summer. And what we want to do is not just have a placeholder where you watch the sermon uh, on your computer screen and just sort of coast until we can finally do the thing that we really want to do, which is get back in the building. We want to say, no, we're going to do more than that. As we are gathering in homes, we want those missional communities to be on mission together, to be intimately connected and worship together, but also taking advantage of their location to serve, to bless their neighbors, and invite them to come see Jesus. So we are not going uh, asleep for the summer. We are not going away for the summer. We are doing something different this summer, and God does cool things things when things get new and unsteady and unsure we we believe that we are following jesus in that so uh to help us do that um as a session we met uh thursday and we really talked about how do we do this well how do we really embrace this idea how do we uh, launch our people train our people into this season of life together And ultimately, what we decided to do was ask for help. 
And we asked uh, Amy Berry to consider coming on staff with us this summer to help us do this as well as possible because of the gifts that she has and the experience that she has with young life and wildlife, leading people, training leaders, multiplying leaders, missionally discipling people. She has a wealth that we need. And thank you, Jesus. Amy Berry called me last night and said that she'd be willing to do that with us as a part-time job this summer. So Amy is going to bring all of her gifts and leadership to bear in helping us direct these missional communities to embrace all that we could be and be on mission with us. So hopefully you'll hear a lot more from her about this. Because as I sat around and talked to people, talked to Amy, talked to other folks, and I just ultimately went home to my wife and said, actually, what I'd really like is just to just tell Amy to do it because I don't think I can. I'm not very good at this. And fortunately, that's exactly what we're going to do. So, uh, Amy, just good luck. Godspeed. Um, so there's exciting stuff on the horizon for us, uh, and we'll be communicating more and more with you uh, so that by June 14th, our hope is that anybody who wants to can be gathered in one of these missional communities. If you're not able to do that because of concern for your health, we totally are okay with that and we want to continue to serve you. You will still be able to worship with us. We'll put all of our stuff online just as we normally do. All right. This morning, um, my intention was to, to continue to preach through the book of Philippians. But in light of the fact that it's Pentecost Sunday and in light of what's going on in our country right now, the profound unrest and pain being spilled out on our streets, I felt like I needed this morning to just pivot and go somewhere else. And that just happens sometimes, so just buckle up. I'm going to read from Ezekiel 37 and Acts 2. Ezekiel is a prophet with his people who are in exile in Babylon, and Ezekiel has a vision. He God led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, these bones, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. Behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves, 
and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I'll place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I'm the Lord. I've spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. This is Acts 2. Part of Acts 2, not the whole thing. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of these in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the good word of the gospel has been spoken to us, proclaimed to us. Father, we pray that our hearts would be pierced by your word, that we be open to you, that we be moved by your word, and that we would breathe deep from the breath of God. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. The, uh, the events of Acts 2, Pentecost, are, we believe, the fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37 is this pretty famous scene in the book of Ezekiel where he sees this valley filled with dry bones of death, absolute death. And Ezekiel is called to prophesy and call forth the breath of God. And the breath comes like a wind, because it's the same word, wind and breath. And the, the wind of God rushes in and reanimates the bones, brings them to life, fills them with the Spirit of God. And when the disciples are gathered in Acts 2 in the upper room of Jerusalem, they are waiting there like Jesus told them to. Jesus has ascended into heaven. He has ascended into heaven and told them, just wait here until something's going to happen. And days later, they're gathered together in this upper room. And what, of course, is the thing that they hear? They hear a sound as a wind. And the wind rushes into the upper room, and they see things, and they hear things, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is the fulfillment of what God has been moving towards throughout the whole arc of the entire Bible. Because God made people to be with him, and sin has ejected them from his presence. 
It's the only thing that they have had as a, as a promise that God would not forever abandon his people is the ability to go to a temple or a tabernacle, go to a place and be reminded that God has not abandoned them. But God refuses to accept this arrangement as the ultimate fulfillment of his desires for humanity. What he wants is to be with his people in the deepest and truest sense over the whole face of the earth. And so when Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's about to happen, he tells them that his leaving is the better option. It is better for them if he would go, which boggles their mind and confuses them and seems wrong. But when Pentecost happens, Jesus makes proof of what he's promised. Because now they're no longer tethered to Jerusalem. They're no longer tethered to one physical temple. They now themselves become the place where the Spirit of God dwells forever with His people. They don't have to wait for a special day or a special ceremony. They forever carry the Spirit of God with them. And by the Holy Spirit, they are filled with the power of Jesus to go on mission with Him. The immediate consequence of Pentecost is the proclamation of Jesus' kingship. What follows, <coughs> all these people hear the good news. Hear the good news proclaimed in their own language miraculously. And Peter stands up after this portion that we've just read and preaches the first Christian sermon, walks through, through the whole Old Testament and proclaims to these gathered people that Jesus has been crucified and resurrected and he is the fulfillment of Israel's hopes. He is the king in their midst. Even if they cannot see him, they have heard the truth of what he is proclaiming. The gospel's proclamation is the fruit of the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit, and the world has changed. And from there, the story of the church accelerates to this unlikely Jewish sect, somehow multiplies over the face of the earth. Language, in every language and creed, the gospel starts to insert itself and proclaim this Jesus as the one and only King. It subverts empires, it disrupts social status, it turns everything on its head as the text itself will proclaim that even the enemies of the Christians are saying, these are the ones who are proclaiming the thing that is turning the whole world upside down. Because that is exactly what happens when Jesus rides in and establishes his own kingship on the earth. <coughs> And this Pentecost Sunday, we are reminded of who we are and what God is doing in the world. And we are reminded when we look out into the world that this Jesus is precisely the one that is needed right now. Our country is full of unrest and heartache and disease and death and outrage. And unfortunately, for a long time, 
Jesus' church has been primarily concerned with one portion of the gospel, which is that Jesus can reconcile you personally to God so that you don't have to be afraid of God anymore. And then when you die, you can go to be with him and not be afraid of death anymore, which is all true. It's all part of the gospel. But the full proclamation of what Peter proclaims in Acts 2, the full proclamation of what the apostles are proclaiming is not just that you and I personally can go home and feel better about our standing with God, but that Jesus is the king. He is the emperor that stands above all other empires. It is his law that subverts and brings down all other laws. It is his definition of every single person that ultimately matters. And it radically transforms the early church. It changes society. When Peter, when Paul writes things like, in this Jesus' reign and rule, there is no male or female or slave or free or Jew or Gentile. He's saying that because of the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus' kingship, there are no more steps in the kingdom. There are no more arrangements where people can cluster themselves and protect themselves from people who are different from one another. Because Jesus' kingship abolishes any other rule and any other power and any other authority. Did you listen to our call to worship this morning from Psalm 97? Go back and read what it says. The foundation of the throne of God is righteousness and justice. Fire goes out before him to consume the idols that stand opposed to him. Fire and smoke goes out in judgment on all the false gods that we cling to and we worship and we bow our knee to. King Jesus does not allow the proclamation of his kingship to be wedded with the gods that make us feel comfortable. He refuses us the security of our own kingdom because his kingdom is the kingdom that will reign and rule forever. And his kingdom is the one that you and I were made for. And it is a constant good word to you and I, even though it can feel desperately painful. I cling to the God of comfort and security. I cling to the God of money. I cling to the God of other people's approval. And sometimes when the Holy Spirit's fire comes, as he does again and again, like on the day of Pentecost, it just feels like it burns. Because he's consuming the gods that I've clung to. And when he does that, though, he launches me into the freedom of Jesus. We have to attend to the voice of the King. Notice the way that the Holy Spirit works in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes and empowers His people 
and there is immediate response that is vocal and audible. And what happens? The gathered nations, they hear the gospel proclaimed in their own language. A lot of people will make the mistake of getting to Acts 2 and they'll remember the story of Babel in the book of Genesis. And they'll say, oh, God is unwinding Babel. But that is, that is a misunderstanding. It's not quite right. People think that what God is going to do is going to give everybody the same language. But that's not what happens on the day of Pentecost. What happens on the day of Pentecost is the languages are preserved as new places where the gospel is proclaimed. So when the Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, there is no erasure of where all the people are from. There is celebration of where the people are from because those are new places where Jesus is proclaiming his kingship by the power of the Holy Spirit. So all throughout the New Testament, you will hear constantly repeated new ethnicities, new languages, new nations, not as a place to be ignored, not as a place to be passed by, but a place to be celebrated because that is a new place where the good news of Jesus' kingship is being proclaimed. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing in the whole world. And right now, our cities are on fire. And the problem that we have to confess as the church is we were meant to be the people who both speak and listen. And we are the people who have turned deaf ears. The coming of the Holy Spirit is meant to empower the people of God to proclaim across boundaries of race and ethnicity and language and geographic place. And we have to confess that we are a people who have plugged our ears for the sake of our own comfort to avoid the fear that we might be exposed. And look, I am... My job is not to come up here and to shame you, to shame me, because that's not how the gospel works. My job is to come up here and to help us imagine the life of the kingdom. Not as if it's something that's fake, but it's something that we cannot often see with our eyes. So we have to engage our kingdom imaginations and help each other remember what it's like when Jesus is king. Because of that, we don't have to be afraid to stare out and say that even in our own midst, even in the quietness of our own hearts, we have protected and contributed to the idolatry of the protection of self, the protection of whatever we'd like to define ourselves by, our money, our race, our language, our political party. We have contributed by turning blind eyes and deaf ears. You can turn on the news and you can say, that's bad, I'm against that. That's the easiest thing in the world to do. 
that requires no kingdom imagination. What you and I can do is turn on the news and to listen by the power of the Holy Spirit and to hear great pain all over your screen. Pain and futility and sorrow and grief that cannot, will not be answered no matter how many times it's asked for. You can stop and you can look at looting. You can look at bricks being through, thrown through windows and you can say, that's bad. And you can stop there because that's comfortable. Or you can say, why in the world would that happen? Because people are deeply, deeply, deeply grieving and angry that no one will pay attention to their grief. And we have contributed to the silence. We have worshipped at the idols of our own comfort. We have worshipped at the idols of politics, of some other king than Jesus. We have worshipped elsewhere. But the Holy Spirit is not going to allow you and I to stay there. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost to fill and empower the people of God to both believe and proclaim that Jesus is the only King. Jesus is the only King. Not the party that I vote for, not the color of my skin, not the life that I leave. Jesus is the only King. And when the gospel is proclaimed, we should hear how Peter proclaims it. He tells the story of Jesus. He tells them what he's done. And the first place that the gospel goes is to us. What he says to the people who are listening is, This Jesus you have crucified. The gospel demands repentance from you and I. This Jesus you have crucified. And the people's response should be our response. What should we do? What should we do? The apostles' response to them is you should repent and you should be baptized and you should come into the life of Jesus. You should repent and you should be baptized. You should be joined to the life of Jesus. The gospel demands repentance, which is not an angry man standing above you and screaming at you to repent because God is angry at you. The gospel that demands repentance, the spirit of repentance is your father pleading with you, stop giving yourself over to fake gods. Stop doing this to yourself. Stop doing this to you and to your families and to the whole of the world. Stop. Come home. Repent. Turn around. Leave those cheap gods. Come home to me. 
I made you for myself. I made you to walk with me. I did this thing so that my spirit could be inside of you. Stop. Come home. And when the people of God hear the call to repentance and we leave aside all of these cheap and passing kings, we are given comfort and security in that king's reign. We bear on our heads, on our bodies, his baptism. His name is put on my forehead. His name is put in my lips. He ushers me into his kingdom. And so now, when I hear the good news proclaimed, and when I look at a world that is fraying apart, smoking in ruins, I can say there are signs everywhere that Jesus' kingship is needed. There are signs everywhere in the systems that we make and the hearts of the people that make them that Jesus' kingship is necessary. And in the baptism that he gives his people, we are reminded that the life, his own life, can transform and will transform everything. People's systems that peoples build, the whole thing, the kingdom of God is coming and is at hand and is here. All at the same time, the kingdom of God is coming, it is near, and it is here. This morning on Pentecost Sunday, it is, it is a time for empowerment. A lot of people will maybe just look at Pentecost Sunday and say, that's weird, that happened a long time ago. That was a weird thing, wind and tongues of fire. That's weird. A lot of people look at Pentecost and say, that's the time when God gives the thing that makes me feel the warm tinglys. It's the Holy Spirit one. That's the one when all the, the fun stuff happens. We're going to set that aside too. The Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost fills the people of God to be empowered to proclaim the kingship of Jesus. That's why Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost to proclaim death to every other king and ideology. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost to point our eyes to Jesus and to unite us to him forever. And that changes everything. It changes us as individuals. It changes the cultures that we build and contribute to. So if you are here this morning and you are being reminded of what God has done at Pentecost and you are realizing that you have clung to lots of idols, this morning, Pentecost morning, is a great morning to throw them in the fire that the Holy Spirit brings. He is delivering you from the idolatry that is in your heart and mine. The Holy Spirit comes with fire that feels like judgment on those idols because it is. And the Holy Spirit comes with fire that consumes us as living sacrifices, as Paul says in Romans 12. If you have come here today and you are weary, 
You are tired of reading the news. You are tired of facing a world that you cannot understand that is so out of line with what you know that God wants to do in the world. The Holy Spirit comes to fill you and empower you and tell you the truth that you are Jesus' people and His kingship is moving in you and through you and out from you. And if you are one of those people who hear Him and receive Him, and then so you are filled by Him, you are reminded this morning that our life is a life of repentance. Our life is a life of repentance because idols spring up from our hearts like weeds in a garden bed. And if you have hidden yourself from the examination of the Holy Spirit because you are afraid of what He might do to you, you should fear not. Your idols should be afraid. The idolatry should be afraid. But you should fear not because your Father loves you and is coming to deliver you into His kingdom all the deeper again and again and again from the bottomless well of His Spirit. People of God, we cannot proclaim a truncated gospel where we cut, off, we cut off any bits that make us uncomfortable. We cannot just say, well, I like the part where I feel better about what happens when I die, and I'll cut off the other parts. We can't be a people who say, well, I like the part where Jesus makes the world better, but I don't like the part where he's the only king that demands that only he be worshipped. That's not how it works either. It's a whole package. Jesus and only Jesus is the whole king of the whole world for his people now and forever. And the Holy Spirit is the giver, the promise, the guarantor of that promise. That God will do what he says. And one day his kingship will have no opposition. And we will see him face to face. And he will wipe every tear from our eyes. And he will live with us. And we will live with him in the light of his face forever. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father, we pray this morning that we would have our hearts moved by your word that we would not be captive to any other ideology, that we would not be captive to anyone but you. We pray that the places where we have treasured and protected idols in our hearts, we pray that you would bust into those places, that you would blow through them with the wind of the Holy Spirit, that you would take them from us trample them under your feet. Father, we pray that you would give us listening ears and tongues that speak the gospel. We pray that you would help us to, to have our hearts exposed before you, examined before you, that we would not keep sin out there as somebody else's problem, that you would interrogate us. Father, we look at the the, the corruption, we look at the, the pain of this world, 
And we know that your kingdom brings better things. Forgive us for hoarding those things for ourselves. Forgive us for sheltering lies like racism in our own midst and not interrogating them and exposing them to the light of the gospel. Forgive us for being hard-hearted. Forgive us for plugging our own ears, for corralling the Holy Spirit and allowing you only so much room in our lives. We thank you that you are merciful, merciful, merciful. That there is nothing we could bring to you that you have not seen, that you cannot overcome. Jesus, we pray that this Pentecost Sunday, the good news of your kingship would be proclaimed in our own hearts and that we would be filled anew by your Holy Spirit to proclaim it to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our friends. We pray that you'd fill us with courage so that we might not keep you out of every conversation, of every relationship that we have, but that we would instead be quick to bring you to the table. That we would be quick to, to confess our need for you, to confess that you are delivering us still. Holy Spirit, we didn't just need you to come 2,000 years ago, we need you to come again and again for us. Make us a people of your Holy Spirit, formed by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we ask this not for our own experience or comfort, but that you would be lifted up and proclaimed as the king of the whole world. Please come do it in our valley, Lord Jesus. Please come do it in our homes and do it in us. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.